According to her cousin Anita, Donna Marie Gentili had big dreams. She wanted to be a cop. She wanted to get married and have kids. She had big dreams of having a small and comfortable life. Donna came from Hardy Stock, a big family full of upstanding working class people in and around Philadelphia. But she'd gotten a rough start. Her parents divorced when she was young. Her mother then married a man who abused her. And when she came forward, her mother, unable to cope with the implications of what Donna was telling her, put her in a home for delinquent girls. In 1979, though, at the tender age of 17, Donna decided to run down those dreams and make them happen on her own terms. She escaped the home for delinquent girls and ran to the furthest corner of the country she could find. She landed in San Diego, California. Donna was the first cousin of mine. My mother and her father were brother and sister, and my mother was the legal guardian to her brother. We tracked every movement that she was doing from the time she left Philadelphia and when she stayed her short five years in San Diego. We tracked every movement because every phone call and every letter came to us. At this time, Donna's real father had passed on, and my mother took over the legal guardian of her brother, and uh, we couldn't seem to get to Donna, so her parents, her stepdad and my aunt, put her in a uh, delinquent home to give her a chance at a more stable life. But from there, Donna left. She ran away with a girlfriend and they headed to San Diego. And of course, the girlfriend ended up going back to Philadelphia. But Donna stayed on board. She felt free. She felt light. She felt away from all of the pain that her family was uh, that she was faced with and her family, the challenges and the abandonment, the voicelessness that went on in the family where she wasn't heard from her mother. And then at the same time, um, you know, of course, San Diego's a beautiful place, the weather, so all, all, it all worked out for her. Over the next five years, what would turn out to be the last five years of her life, the realities of what it would take to grind towards that normalcy wore on her. She had a little bit of money in her pocket, and she started to... Donna had dreams of wanting to be married and have a, a uh, normal life. And uh, she didn't really want to be working in the streets, but she really didn't have a choice. Because she was underage, it was hard to find and keep work. She took on short-term security gigs, but supplemented her income doing sex work. She was very personable with people, and she found herself working as a security guard in certain institutions, which was a plus for her. But when she wasn't working as a security guard, that's when she uh, started to work in the streets, uh, sell, you know, in the, sex, in the line of sex work prostitution. So she was a streetwalker. She was a beautiful girl who took good care of herself, and she quickly gained a robust regular client base that included patronage from several San Diego police officers. What happened next would be painted in the papers as a love triangle, but in reality... It looks more like bullshit department politics gone awry. Donna was seeing an officer who got penalized for cavorting with sex workers. Sometime after that, she took up with a different officer, a lieutenant, who openly carried on his affairs with several women, taking Donna and others on trips, paying her bills, even helping to board her horse. The officer who'd been penalized for similar behavior became jealous and began stalking and harassing Donna. He was jealous of it all, and he pressured or harassed her, pressured or harassed her, he, to a point that she went to internal affairs and reported him for sexual harassment in the letter that I have in the book that she sent us. She was so afraid of him. She was so 
in fear. Now you got to remember, he was about 10 years older than her. She's a young little 22 year old. And, you know, she's frail and vulnerable because, you know, she's, she's in survivor mode her whole life. She's working the streets. They can pressure a girl like that, a young girl, whether you're a, you know, a, a sex worker or not. Um, you know, police can be intimidating to anyone because they have that power. They carry the power of the badge and they can say whatever they want. They can arrest you whenever they want. The thing is, when she went to report this officer to the Internal Affairs, then they started to decided to use her as a police corruption informant to kind of get some information, like wired her up. For cops that they would slap on, you know, slap them on the hand for things, you know, if they bought a joint or something or whatever. But you don't make a, a working girl a police corruption informant. This is pure death right there. I mean, this is pure death. You're taking a, a working girl, a prostitute, that the cops harass continually and they arrest and you're going to make her a police corruption informant to go report on corrupt cops? Come on. Anita wrote a book about what happened to Donna called The Donna Gentile Story, The Life and Murder of an Innocent Runaway. On Donna's time working as an informant, Anita writes, quote, The rather sketchy agreement she worked out with IA is that she wore a wire while meeting with members of law enforcement so internal affairs could record the conversations taking place. In exchange, the police department agreed to help her out with the pending appeal of her prostitution conviction. The job turned dangerous quickly. Donna was still working the streets to support herself, and she found herself increasingly targeted in superfluous stings and written up or brought in for nonsense minor charges and tickets. She began to feel her life was in danger. Other policemen were in fear because they were writing her tickets for smoking a cigarette on a corner. They wrote her a ticket for parking so many feet away from a fire hydrant. She must have got 100 tickets in one day, her lawyer said. And uh, they were just badgering her. But it was internal affairs that put her in this position. And they were pressuring her. Internal affairs betrayed her. They promised to relocate her. They put a deadbolt on her door. A deadbolt? That officer broke that deadbolt. And she expressed that fear to Anita and other members of her extended family, saying once on a call from jail, I reported the patrolman for sexually harassing me. My life is in danger when I get out. The cops are waiting for me. I feel someone in uniform with a badge can still be a serious criminal, she said. In the spring of 1985, Donna testified against several officers with the San Diego Police Department. Five weeks later, she was killed. Her body was found on Laguna Mountain. Her assailant or assailants shoved gravel down her throat until she died. Well, it was shocking. I mean, it was shocking. At first, I knew that she was going to get murdered, and I kept saying, she's going to get she sounds like they're going to murder her. She keeps saying it. We need to go. We need to go. So I was in fear. I had a lot of anxiety. And then when it happened, I was totally frozen. I think it just froze me in time right then and there because I felt like I could have helped her. I could have went. I was a 28-year-old girl. But remember, in that time in the 80s, it wasn't like in my generation then. It wasn't like we had smartphones, computers, where we were just picking up going on a plane like I do now. I just pick up and go on a plane if I want tomorrow. Back then, we weren't doing that. I had to grow into that, into the new world. And uh, when I, I, I didn't, I thought that maybe if I did that, I would get killed. I kept thinking, if I go, I'm going to get killed with her. 
Donna's death was incredibly difficult for Anita's family. My mother was, she was in total shock. She, she just didn't know what to believe. I mean, she was, you know, of course, everyone was very emotional about it, but she was, she was in shock. I mean, no one, ju- we didn't judge Donna. We didn't judge her. But there was a lot of shame around the whole family because of the work, the line of work she was in at that time. And nobody really wanted to talk about it because she was a prostitute. And it was like, oh, prostitutes die like that. It was like that understood thing that the world, that the stories you hear on the news over and over and in movies, how runaways, they just die and they, they become drug addicts or prostitutes. And so our family sort of had a shame, a shame in hiding about it because of the work she did. Information was hard to come by. And once they were able to find out more, it came with the pressure and trauma of media exposure. For her own part, Anita recalls spending years grappling with the aching, nagging guilt that she couldn't convince Donna to leave San Diego. I kept saying, leave, come, and she couldn't leave her horse. That's why she stayed. She had a horse, and uh, uh, Fantasia was the name of the horse. And Donna had, uh, she was grooming horses as a side job. She also had a job off and on doing grooming horses, working in the, in the, in the barns with these horses, just as her brother did here in Philly. So they grew up around horses. So she did the same thing there, but she couldn't leave the horse because the horse is such a spirit. It's like a spirit uh, effect on you. It's, it's very spiritual. You have this connection to a horse that um, I think that's all she had. That's all she could see was the relationship with this animal that, that with all the problems she had in her household growing up, and with all the police and, and just the life of seeing client after client in the streets. And um, I think she just just uh, took to this horse and she couldn't leave the horse to come home. And we kept saying to her, you need to leave the horse and come. We'll go back for it. And, you know, when you're that young and you feel like you're leaving something that meant so much to you, like even if it, even if you knew you were going to go back, I think that because it was so far away, 3,000 miles, she probably thought she'd never see her horse again. But like I said, for years on end, up until I, well, even when I moved to California, even until today, I always felt like I could have saved her. Uh, even if I would have got a, a big bully of a guy to go with me and, and, and guard me or something. Yeah, I mean, I was afraid. I was young. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know anything about street life like that, you know? And um, so we were all frozen. And I think that we're, you know, we're this book and me and everything now is, is helping me open that that um, that that pain, that 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 dormant uh, part of me that stayed um, suppressed for years. Even though I, I'm a psychotherapist and I've been in much therapy myself over the years, I still always see this that why I could have saved her. I could have saved her. I could have went and took her by the hand and dragged her on a plane and said, "Leave that horse. You'll go back for it." But I didn't. I didn't do that. Mm. that. That's the pain. I didn't do that. I didn't do my job. My job now is to see if I could find closure for myself, for my family, and justice, and to, to keep Donna's spirit alive through these, these types of talks and the book. And um, that's my job for now, to see if I could... And, and she has come to me spiritually. Donna's killer or killers have never been identified or prosecuted. The case is cold, and the coroner, 
in an unprecedentedly opaque move, permanently sealed her autopsy report. Anita hopes one day to find justice for her cousin, who she so admired for her strength in facing down a horrific death in order to have her voice heard. Donna, being a woman of resilience, a woman of strength, a woman of having a voice, who she came from a family where she was voiceless, where her mother abandoned her because her mother didn't believe that the stepfather was doing anything. And how dare you talk about my husband doing that to you? So she became, she was voiceless. So Donna all her life fought for her voice. I have this thing called, it's your voice now. And um, so all her life she was, and this was an opportunity, I guess, in her, in wherever she was in her personal development, that I'm going to have my voice. I'm going to go in and report this policeman. She had a strength in her to take it upon herself and walk in the police department and report a policeman for sexually harassing her being a sex worker and not having the fear. But again, you just back, back then, she didn't know that she needed the team of women sisters to support her and all of the political things that we have today. So if a woman today were to do something like Donna did, she would have a lot more support today and she wouldn't probably wouldn't be murdered. I want people to walk away and know that it's okay to have your voice and that um, Donna was, um, she was someone that didn't have a voice for years. And as a um, young girl, she was resilient. She opened up her, her, her voice to, to save herself. And she, that to me was having a certain amount of love, a deep love for yourself when you open your voice to save yourself, not being silenced. So you're helping others as well, but back then we weren't in that, that whole thing with what we have going on today, having the voice for everyone else. Donna had the voice for herself. She, she wanted to save herself. So my, what I want people to know is that you can save yourself.